morning. How we doing, guys? You know, folks, I, I don't like to, you know, do the correlations, but I believe it was Cinco de Mayo yesterday. Yes. I'm looking at the pews, and I don't see as many people today. <laughs> Putting two to two together. Um, how's everybody doing today? Guys, we're doing better than great. We're doing fantastic, right? What a day, huh? It is always good to be part of baptism. It is one of the greatest joys I get to be part of. Um, what, what an awesome day to see God changing people's lives, right? I mean, that's what it's about, right? It's a God who comes into darkness, brings unbelievable light, and just changes people's hearts. It's an amazing thing. Uh, we've been in the series Exodus, and uh, we are in our 15th week, our 15th week of it. And so let me catch you up if you've missed. If you missed, let me kind of just lay out a framework for you that will help you see where we're at right now. And so we kind of call this the key to the series. And really what I'm hoping for, guys, is like if, if out through the weeks you don't remember every single detail, I hope you'll pull back to these high-level lessons and go, man, I got these. I got these. And so what we've talked about is as you walk with God, a couple things happen. First, God frees you. So just like he came to the Israelites who were slaves in the land of Egypt, the very first thing he did is he came in in unbelievable power and majesty and he frees them from the slavery that has bound them. And what's beautiful about that freedom that he offers is there's no contingency to it. There's no conditions tied to it, right? He doesn't come to them and say, hey, I need you to do these three things, then I will free you. He comes to them and he goes, I am your father, you are my people, I will free you. And after he frees them, he then asks them with their freedom, will they follow him? And so we see that, right? Step one, God comes in and he frees you. Step two, if you choose to follow him in that freedom, he transforms you. And so in that freedom, He now begins to reshape you, rebuild you, change out your heart, change out your mind, and make you into something new. And what we acknowledge is, is in both those steps, they are completely dependent upon the full power of God. They don't happen because of you. It's not about your merit. It's not about your resume. It's not about your talent. It's not about your abilities. They happen purely from the love and the power of God. And so we've said in this journey, there's three verses we really want to keep front and center in our mind. If we're going to be freed from God and then in our freedom choose to follow Him, there's three things we've got to focus on. One, Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. If I'm going to follow Him, if He's going to be the master, He has to be the one and the only voice I come to. If there are multiple masters that I am trying to pursue in my life, I will have a divided life and that will lead only to a path of destruction. If he's my master, he's the voice I hear, he's the one I obey. Second, we acknowledge that along this journey, because God is so holy, so righteous, so perfect, so powerful in comparison to you and me, that along that journey, sometimes when he calls... We're not going to understand what he's saying. Like we'll hear the direction, but we won't understand the logic behind it, the reasoning behind it, because it's completely foreign to our ways of life. But in those moments, we fall back on the truth in Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6, that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Amen. And brothers and sisters, that's really what determines whether Christ is your master or, or just an advisor. <coughs> right? All of us have advisors and consultants, right? People in our life who come in, pop in and go, you know, if I were you, I would do this. If I were you, I would do that. And the key about an advisor or a consultant is I don't have to listen. I'm in charge. I'm driving. I make the path. So thanks for your wisdom. Not going to do it. Right? You have that ability to tell him no. But if he's your master, when the master says do, you do. And so we have to acknowledge that along this journey, as we are 
turning away from our old lives, we have to trust completely in what God is asking us to do. And then the third thing. Along this journey, if we are following Him, if He's the Master and we're obeying, we're going to change. 1 Peter 1, 14-16 says, As He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Now again, this doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. You and I are going to still fall. We're still going to make mistakes. We're going to still sin. But what's going to define us is, is how we respond to when we fall. Do we get back up? Do we acknowledge the sin? Do we repent? And do we keep moving towards our God? Or do we stay there in the mud and the muck? And so as Christians, this is the call. God sets you free, and in that freedom you choose to follow Him. And following Him, He is the only voice you hear. And even when you don't understand all the reasons why, you do what He asks. And along that way, you change. Along that way, you become something different. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip with me to Exodus 32. And while you're flipping there, Exodus 32, let me tell you a little story about what happened to me this week. Um, this week, Nicole had an appointment and uh, asked me to, to watch the kiddos. And it was just two of the three. Ty was at school, so it was Jake and it was Elle. And so Jake is, is, is two and a half, almost three. Uh, Elle is, what, three months, a little over. And I come in, right, and they're in the living room, and they just look like little angels. You know, I was sitting there all cutely dressed with her bow on, and Jake's, you know, having a good time, and everything looks great. And, and so she heads out, and, and in the first three minutes, here's what happened. Like, I swear, the car's not even out of the driveway, and Elle just goes off. Like, she just goes, you know, like, explosion of crying, right? And, and what, she's a really good baby, so when it happens, typically it means something like dirty diaper, or she's hungry, or she did something that hurt her, right? So I'm like, I go and I grab her, and when I grab her, I realize that not only has she been exploding tears, but other things as well. <laughs> and, and these babies, I don't even know how they do it. I don't even know how you get that stuff everywhere. Like, up your back, everywhere. So I pick her up like, oh, are you okay, honey? And I'm like, she's covered. I'm now covered in it, right? So I'm like, let's go upstairs. We're going to have to do bath, right? So I'm like, Jake, come on. Come on, let's go. I get her up there. I strip her down. I'm, I'm down to just pants. I'm sitting there with no shirt on. Got her in the sink, bathing her. Jake looks at me and goes, Dad, Dad I got to go potty. So I'm already thinking in my head, like, okay, this is going to be fun right now. It was one of those ones, Dad, I need to go potty, meaning I've already peed my pants, and I'm standing in a puddle of pee in, your living, in the bedroom. So I look at him, I've got soap all over her, he's soaked the floor with urine, and I'm like, okay, this is fun. So in literally four minutes from the time Nicole has left, two children are bathing, and I have barely any clothes on. And I'm like, how did this get so bad? so fast if she would turn around right now she'd walk in and be like what are you doing but isn't that sometimes how it goes in life isn't that how it goes sometimes in life where like you look and it looks like everything's going great and then man you blink your eyes and all of a sudden you're like how did we get here and the reality of it is that mess did all just happen in that second it was brewing before that. <laughs> Things were in the motions before that. We just couldn't see it. But in that moment that it all came to light, we went, wow, what a mess. Well, in Exodus 32, we experience a mess like that. And so if you don't remember, let me just recap where we left these people. We left these people. They have escaped Egypt. God has been giving them His laws and His commandments to teach them what life under Him is going to be like. And what he's outlining for them is we are going to be a people of love who love God and who love people. And remember, at the last time we left him, there was this beautiful scene where all the elders of Israel stand at the foot of the mountain and they look up at God and they go, we hear all you say and we will do all you say. It's just this beautiful moment of like people opening up their hearts and going, we hear you, God, we acknowledge you, and we will follow you. And you're like, man, what a beautiful scene. You wish the movie kind of ended right there. But then Exodus 32 happens, and you go, how'd that get bad that quick? Look with me in your Bibles, Exodus 32. 
So as Moses is on the mountain getting the law, it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now first off, can you just even believe that's, that's coming out of these mouths already? Just pause for a second. Like Sometimes in the Bible when you're reading, don't try to read so fast. Pause and let's sink in what just was said. These people who months ago were being treated less than human as slaves in Egypt, being beaten, murdered, massacred, who had their little babies being slaughtered, have been freed from their oppressors, have been brought into the wilderness, have been hand-fed by God, have been taught to God by His physical presence. And when Moses takes a little too long on the mountain, they go, you know what? Let's make some new gods. How does that happen? How does that happen in a people who have experienced God so personally, so powerfully, and who have so much to owe Him that the moment things go south, they just completely turn. They just completely and utterly turn. Now as you read that, you go, okay, so they went to Aaron. Surely, surely Aaron, right? I mean, this is Aaron. This is Moses' brother. This is the one that has been the mouthpiece of Moses. Remember this, right? God calls Moses and says, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, I'm not good at public speaking. Give me some help. So God gives Aaron to Moses. And from that point forward, when you're going through all the plagues, all the battles between Moses and Pharaoh, Aaron is right there as the mouthpiece speaking to him. So this isn't some novice. This isn't some spectator who's been sitting on the sidelines. He has been front and center in the work of God. So surely Aaron's going to go, guys, this is a terrible decision. We shouldn't do this, but but look what happens. Verse 2, so Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in them. Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a craving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and play. Can you even believe this? I mean, one, so that the people flip so fast is unreal. And then you expect Aaron's going to go, hey guys, this is a bad idea. He doesn't even put up a fight immediately jumps into like, all right, so let's bring me some gold and uh, we'll figure this thing out here. You know what? We'll, we'll make our own idol and we'll start worshiping to it. In fact, you know, as soon as it's done, we will build an altar, we'll start singing songs, and, and that word rose up in play. Just imagine debauchery. All the things that they used to watch the pagans do in Egypt, they jump right into it. Days ago, Days ago, they're standing at the foot of the mountain with the presence of God booming at them going, we hear you and we will do all that you say. And you know what really gets me the worst? Notice what they said. They didn't just say, hey, here's a new God. They said, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you understand that? This isn't just them going, hey, God's taking too long. Moses is taking too long. We're tired. Let's make a new God. No. They create this idol and then attribute to it this golden calf that they carved with their own hands. They attribute the freedom that God personally brought them. Can you even understand this? 
How do you do that? How do you go from a God who is personally walked by your side in day, in a cloud that gives you shade at night, in a cloud that brings you fire to keep you warm and safe, and days go by and you now attribute all His actions of love and power to a statue you made? So quickly they flip. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, and listen to this, Go down for who? Your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring that they shall inherit forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster they had spoken of bringing on his people. So let's break this down a little bit. We have this unbelievable action by the people of Israel. We have God's instant reaction, which is, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. And remember, like, to remember how fed up he is, remember that, did Israel do anything to earn all that he had given them? No. Right? This was never a contract. God never came to these people and said, hey, if you will do these things, I will free you. And they exchanged these things. God in love came to them when they were turned against Him and freed them, defended them, guided them, watched over them, fed them, provided for them, all in love. Then they, out of their own free will, said, we will follow you. We will do everything you say. God's ready to turn. God's ready to be done. Moses is offered something. Moses is offered, Moses, I will fulfill my promise, but I'm going to fulfill it through you. Moses, you basically become the new Abraham. I'll wipe everybody else out, and with you, I'll start anew. Now, brothers and sisters, what I want you to catch about this is a couple things. One, you and I should be afraid of God's wrath. It's a sad thing in our culture. We don't really like to talk about God's wrath anymore. Why? Because it scares us. And the reason it scares us is completely and utterly appropriate. It scares us because if you've ever stood in the presence of God, do you know what you know? You aren't Him. He is perfect and you are not. In fact, remember, most of the time when angels of the Lord appear to mankind, do you know what the number one thing the angels have to say is? Do not be afraid. In fact, it's the most repeated commandment in all of the Bible. And typically when it occurs is when human beings are put into the presence of God Almighty. And in that moment when regular human beings who live in sin are suddenly in the presence of God, they know. I'm not good. And fear washes over them. And it's in these moments that often God has to remind them, do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. And so brothers and sisters, what I want you to see about your God is, is well, you and I should never be motivated by His wrath. Do not think it's not there. 
This is a just and loving God, and He is perfect. But if He is perfect, it means that He will right wrongs. It means that He will not tolerate injustices. It means that if evil is brought into this world, He will wipe it out. And that's why He asks us to choose. Which side are you on? Are you with evil? Or are you with Him? Now some people look at this and go, okay, so God's angry. That makes sense to me. But Moses talks him out of it. What's that mean? Does that mean God was wrong? And then Moses said, hey God, you're wrong. Let me show you a better way. Was this God showing imperfection that like a little child, all of a sudden he was upset and angry and decided I'm going to wipe him out? And then Moses said, hold on God. Let's not be so hot-headed here. Is that what we see happening? No, what we see happening to me is actually something of beauty. You have to remember sometimes, God in His perfection isn't always limited to one path. In His perfection, He can choose to highlight different elements of His personality. He is completely and utterly just to wipe these people out. But the beauty of our God is our God is a God who has relationship with His people. And as He stands here with one whom He loves, Moses, who has not turned on Him, who has been faithful to Him, who has served Him, He listens to what Moses has to say. And He realizes in what Moses is requesting, there is no sin, that God's still in perfection, can choose to show love and not wrath. And in this moment, that's what he chooses to do. Now, brothers and sisters, what you and I should love about this story is, is that a man like Moses, who in his own weakness and sin, can have such a relationship with God, that they can actually talk and work together to determine where we go. I mean, do you understand how beautiful that is? I mean, how easy would it have been for God to look at Moses and go, oh, you're going to give me advice now? <laughs> you're going to tell me what we should do? <clears throat> Son, do you not remember the boy you were when I met you at the burning bush? Do you not remember the one who stood here telling me that you couldn't do what I was asking you to do? But God doesn't do any of that. God knows Moses' love. God knows Moses' devotion. And God realizes that yes, there is a way to show perfect love. Now the cost is going to be high. Up until this moment, Israel has walked in the physical presence of God. This cloud that has been around them has been a constant reminder of His presence, of His power, and of His care. And what he tells Moses, if you continue reading on, is that presence will no longer be felt. From now on, there'll be a go-between. God will talk to Moses. Moses will talk to the people. But the people, because of their sin, will not be able to see that presence directly. It's a high price to pay. But if we're honest, it's unbelievably merciful that he doesn't wipe them out. Where would these people have been without Him? Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to look at this from a couple different perspectives. The first is, no, if it can happen to these folks, it can happen to us. Now, I know some of you look at this story and go, uh, I'm not going home and fashioning a golden calf that I'm then going to build an altar to, slaughter an animal to, and pray. That's, that's just not going to happen. Right? That, that doesn't happen in my life. And so some of us, when we talk about idolatry, we go, it's not really my thing. Like, I don't need to worry about that. But I think, brothers and sisters, if we dig really into this story, we realize idolatry isn't as simple as you and I try to make it. Idolatry isn't as simple as taking gold and shaping a calf. It's about trying to reshape God. Look at these few verses with me. 
Look at Psalm 135, verses 15 through 17. It says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. God's point? They're not alive. They're not alive. They're powerless statues that do nothing. Grace says in Jonah 2.8, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What's God saying? He's saying, when you do this, when you pour yourselves out of the things you've made, do you know what you give up on? You give up on love. You give up on the hope that some powerful, amazing, almighty God could love you back. You let that go. Habakkuk 2.18 What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. What's his Habakkuk's point? How stupid is this? You're worshiping something you made. You know it's not God. You know it's not perfect. You know it has no power because you made it. Why do you worship it? And so I think there's sometimes a moment where all of us go, yeah, it's stupid. That's dumb. I'd never do that. Oh, but we would. Why would people do these things? Why would people betray a God who's done so much for them? Why would people worship something they know they've made? I want you to rewind again and remember what I said was so offensive. When they shaped this calf, they didn't say this was a new God. They said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, what they were trying to do was not introduce a new God. They were trying to reshape their current God. They had seen God Almighty Yahweh in His unrestrained power and glory they had seen him in this form where they realized he could not be contained nor controlled by them. And what they decided is, God, we like some of you, but not all of you. We are going to reshape you, repackage you into an easy-to-consume container. We're going to take this God who has loved us and who has freed us, and that's what we're going to focus on, and we're going to remove that part of God that is wild. That part of God that is powerful. That part of God that we cannot restrain or contain. And that we will throw away. Why? Because that part of you is inconvenient for us. That part of you makes us uncomfortable. And so we will reshape God into what we want Him to be. And brothers and sisters, when you hear that, I hope you realize we do that all the time. All around this world, in churches all across America today, there are people reshaping God. People that see and experience the powerful, the almighty, the awesome God and go, you know what? I like most of it, but not all of it. So you know what? I'm going to take that loving part. I'm going to take that father part. I'm going to take that savior part. And that I'm going to hold on to. But you know that part that wants obedience? You know that part that has standards? That part that has rules? That I don't want to deal with. So I'm just going to ignore that. Brothers and sisters, when you do that, know that you are making yourself an idol. Know that when you do that, you're not worshiping God. You are worshiping something made of your own hands. And as God's Word tells us, that has no power. It can't save you. It can't comfort you, and it sure as heck can't love you. See, brothers and sisters, some of us, we get scared because God is dangerous. And so we try to make Him more approachable. We try to take the teeth away from Him. But the moment that you do that, do you know what you do? When you make a God small enough that you're not afraid of Him, you make a God so small He can't help you anymore. You make a God that can't stand against your demons. You make a God that can't help you in your times of trouble. You make a God that cannot save you from your sin. You make a worthless God. 
that just makes you feel a little bit better about yourself from day to day. It's why, brothers and sisters, we live in a world today where so many people are willing to go, oh, well, this is my God, that's your God, they're all the same. Why? Because we all know the truth. We all know that they're none of the real gods. They're things that we've created, things that we've made to serve our own needs. Brothers and sisters, if that's what we're doing, we're not in a relationship with God Almighty. We are simply lying to ourselves. And to be honest, we had seen this coming in the Israelites from the very beginning. Yeah, there was that beautiful scene where they stood at the foot of the mountain and they said, God, whatever you say, we'll do. But let's really watch the journey the whole time through. Remember, as soon as they cross over that Red Sea and there's no food, what do they do? God, you brought us here to die? You brought us here to starve us? Wasn't there better food back in, in, in Egypt? So God feeds them. They go a little couple days with no water. God, is this what you did to us? You brought us here to die? You brought us to die here of thirst? We were better off as slaves. God feeds them. God gives them water. What happens again? Next time they run out of stuff. God, where are you? We wish we could go back. What are they saying each and every time? God, we want your stuff. We don't want you. God, we want your stuff. We don't want you. In any of those moments that they ever pause and go, you know what? My belly is aching and I am thirsty, but my goodness, I am in the presence of the Almighty God. I would rather die hungry and thirsty in His presence than be anywhere else in this world. Did they ever say that? No. The whole time they have been motivated by their own desires. And so it should not shock us for a second that the moment God's presence is pulled away, they go, let's create our own God. Let's make our own God who is easy and comfortable for us to deal with. Brothers and sisters, if your God is comfortable to you, you're not talking to God. You're not talking to Yahweh. You're not talking to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're talking to something of your own creation. And brothers and sisters, Satan has only gotten smarter in the way that he lets idolatry impact our world. Because, well, we don't see statues of snakes or calves anymore. You know what we do see? People who go, oh yes, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but he was just a good man. He was just a wise one who showed us that love's all you need. Oh yes, I love Jesus, but you know, the Jesus who, who, who is a created being, he's not God. He was just this good man who followed good rules and got to heaven. But you go talk to others about their Jesuses and they'll tell you, I'm a Christian just like you. But when you really dig into who they worship and whom they serve, it is not your God. Brothers and sisters, do not settle for a God that you have created. As you go to God's Word, take it in for everything it is. All of it. Both the parts you like and the ones you don't. Both those that make you comfortable and those that don't. You got to be careful because even as church people we do this. I have seen folks who have determined that there is only one way they are going to serve God. They get their, their patterns down. They get their methods down. They get their routines down and they go, this is how I do Christ. This is how I do church. And they lock it in and they never change it. Never assuming that God at any moment could show up and go, you know what? I appreciate what you've done, but I have a new path for you. I have a different direction I want you to go. I have a new way I want you to serve. I have a new way I want you to grow. So brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to get to here is have you really fallen on your knees and gone, I am the servant. He is the master. This isn't about me. It's not about my dreams. It's not about my hopes. It's not about my plans. It's not about my passions. Because I only have one. And that's to be where he is. 
I am His and He can use me any way He chooses. That's the commitment we have to make. Because for some of us, even though we say we're Christians, we have carved our own idols made out of our own hands. One of the passages I want you to look at with me. Go to Job chapter 42. In Job chapter 42, we encounter this man, Job, who is unbelievably righteous. In fact, he's a man of such moral character that God brags about him. I don't know about you, but I mean, could there ever be anything cooler than that? Like, can you imagine God like walking around heaven being like, have you seen my boy, Emilio? This guy is rocking it. Angels, everybody pay attention. This guy is kicking butt every day. He's amazing. Again, there's no cool that would be to know God's walking around heaven talking about you. Going, this guy is just, I'm so proud of him. I'm so happy with how it's going. At the beginning of Job, that's what happened. God is walking around going, have you guys seen my boy Job? This guy is just doing awesome. And Satan comes to him and he goes, the only reason he's doing awesome is because you've given him so much stuff. He's got a cushy life. He's got a lot of wealth. He's got a nice family. He's healthy. I guarantee you, God, if you let me take those things, he won't be praising you anymore. And God goes, no. I know Job's heart. He ain't going to turn on me. And Satan goes, let's prove it. And so Satan comes at Job with everything he has. He takes his family, he takes his wealth, he takes his health, he takes his friends, he breaks up his marriage. And over that time, Job slightly, slightly starts to dip his toe into what I call idolatry. Now understand, he never turns his back on God. He never curses God, he stays faithful. But he starts to shape in his mind this idea that, man, if he could just sit, face-to-face with God and explain to God what's happening, that God would go, you know what? Job, this is wrong. This wasn't supposed to happen. Job, this is some big cosmic mistake. Let me fix this for you. And so for 40 chapters, Job is crying and begging to have this presence with God. To sit down with Him. And you know what happens? God comes. God comes to talk to a man to man. But man, when God shows up, you know how He shows up? He shows up in a whirlwind. He shows up in this giant tornado of a storm. And He looks at Job and He says, Man up, I got questions for you. And for chapters, God outlines all of these things that He knows, that He controls, that He is Lord over, that He is King over, that He is the Creator of. And He looks at Job and goes, Do you know any of those things? And His point to Job is this. Do not think for a second that you are greater in thought than I am. I am the Almighty God. I cannot be constrained or retained. I am who I am. I can do all. I can be all. And if I have allowed this to happen, it has happened for good. And I want you to listen to what Job says in Job 42, verses 1 through 5. Because to be honest, what he says here is something I hope each and every one of you has experienced in your life. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Now listen, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Oh, I love that. He's saying, God, I had heard of you. I would read about you. I had talked about you. I would heard sermons about you. I would read books about you. But now I've seen you. Now I have experienced you. This 
isn't just knowledge that comes from facts and figures I've learned. I have been in your presence. I have seen your almightiness. Man, you blow away every conception I had of you. You are beyond everything I ever imagined. I had heard of you, but now I see you. That's what those Israelites had missed. Yes, God had been in their presence each and every day, but you know what they hadn't done? They hadn't truly seen Him. They had heard what He had to offer. They had heard what He had had to say, but they hadn't opened up His eyes to look Him in the face and go, Oh my God, you are awesome. And brothers and sisters, if you haven't had that moment, if you haven't looked full upon that majesty, I don't believe you'll ever fall on your knees and beg to be a servant. There'll always be part of you that wants to rule yourself. And so I pray. I pray for those of you that have made this only an intellectual thing, that you will close your eyes, that you will fall on your knees, that you will call to your God, and that you will ask Him to show up in the whirlwind. Amen. Not as a whisper. Not some faint touch, but to show up in His full-blown force to knock away all those false images you have of Him. Amen. That you will stand there in the thundering presence of God and realize just how majestic He is. Because brothers and sisters, when you stand in that presence, not only will you want to serve Him, but you will realize there's not a thing this world could ever throw at you Amen. that will bring fear to Him you will realize that if you are in the hands of that God, nothing can ever touch you. That He will hold you like His child and He will guide your way. Brothers and sisters, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask Him to show up in force in our lives. Heavenly Father, we come to You, Lord, and we ask You, make Your presence known. Father, come into our hearts and come into our minds and knock down every idol that we've set up. Break down those false images and misconceptions and ways that we've tried to contain you, Lord. Wipe them from our minds and replace them with a picture of you. Almighty, awesome, perfect, loving, gracious, wrathful, just loving God that you are. The God that made us God that freed us, the God that sent your Son to die for us, the God that has raised us from the dead, the God that has called us His children, the God that is our Father. <coughs> Father, may we like Job go, I had heard of you, but now I see you. Amen. Father, we love you. And in your Son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Joe to come forward. Me and him will be at the front. Brother James will be at the back. And as Maria sings, if you need to pray, you can either do it where you're at or if you want someone to pray with you, you feel free to come forward or go to the back and we will pray with you. But don't settle for any other God than Yahweh God. Pray. Oh, yeah.
my Savior's scars victorious my chains are gone my dead is paid from death to and grace to grace If heaven now owns that vacant like a rose the promise that rolled back death and its stone if freedom is worth the life you raised oh where is my sin where is my shame if love chains are gone my dead is paid from death to Before we close, folks, uh, we got a few people we just want to pray for. Uh, so as we were sharing earlier during baptism, it's uh, Leslie's last week with us before she goes to Dallas. And it's also the last week here for Tom and Luann. Now, you guys have been with us how long now? Seven months. Seven months. So they're going back home to uh, Illinois? Yeah, Illinois, Wisconsin. Midwesterners like us, me, so <laughs> good people. Um, we've enjoyed their presence with us, and we're just going to pray both for Leslie, who's coming up, and for these folks as they travel, that God will be with them, that He will give them a safe and prosperous journey, and that as they go to these new locations, that He has unbelievable blessing waiting for them. So if you don't mind bowing your head, I'm going to pray for these folks, and then we'll go ahead and dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for the people that You bring to this family. We know
know that the body of Christ is much bigger than this building. Amen. It is the spirit of every believer across this planet, Lord, that has fallen down on their knees and called you Lord and Savior. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for these people that you bring into our lives for seasons, who help us grow, who help us love, who help us enjoy life. Father, it's such a beautiful thing to have family all across the world. We pray, Lord, to one, thank you for the time we've had with them. And second, we ask you, Lord, to guide over their journeys. Make them safe, make them prosperous. And Lord, may their journey, their destination that they go to, be one that has all of your blessings waiting for them. Father, may they find a new church family to be with that will grow them and love them. And Father, if we cross their paths again, may we find that we have journeyed closer to you along the time that we've been separated. We love you, Father. We trust you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before everybody goes, we didn't get to do it in the service, so we'll do it at the end. If you've got a birthday or anniversary in the month of May, or if you've got a new Christian birthday, come on up. We want to celebrate with you guys. That's right. Now that we got Luke here dressed and ready. <laughs> Birthdays, anniversaries in the month of May? I look good in my swim trunks. <laughs> okay. Parents' anniversary. Justin's up there. Tallulah's going to stand in for her mom. Birthday? Emmys. She'll be? She'll be? She is? She turned one. Birthday? And Brother Luke's was on the 2nd of May. Birthdays? All three? Okay. May 1st. Mine's the 15th and yours is? The 31st. All right. All right. So here we go. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, God bless you. Happy anniversary to you. And many more. Don't forget, we got cake in the back. God bless y'all. Remember, spirits of power, love, and self-discipline. And what's your mission? Love God, love people, and follow Jesus. You guys have a great week. Yes, sir.